Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to Starkville. Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Glanville. Mike tried his coffee at Starbucks with a double latte skinny. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. <laughs> Greetings and welcome to Starkville, now part of the Athletic Baseball Show, where you'll find great baseball talk all week long, all offseason long, and all lockout long. <laughs> I'm Jason Stark. I read about baseball for the Athletic, joined, as always, by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, Emmy winner, distinguished former major leaguer, Doug Glanville. Doug, how are you, my friend? I'm good. And remember, we are we are not locked out here. We are locked in. So yes. we, we flip the script on the madness. Yeah. <laughs> We're trying. Uh, Doug, before we get into this fantastic show with uh, Whit Merrifield of the Royals, and we start talking about lockouts and tanking and all that fun stuff, uh, I need to raise a topic mm-hmm. that I know is an important issue for you, by which I mean... Groundhog's Day, of course. I uh, just made it through another one. <laughs> and I know you have some issues with the lovable creature known as Punxsutawney <laughs> Phil. So go ahead, man. Say whatever you need to say about that groundhog. Well, you know, I feel like Punxsutawney Phil has gotten a hall pass for a long time. Nobody ever questions him. <laughs> Nobody. They just kind of let it and they say, yeah, six more weeks of winter. And they don't ask the basic question that I had to throw out there on Twitter as, what is Punxsutawney Phil's agenda? What What's his agenda? I mean, is does is he have like some sort of stock in like, you know, a winter ski resort and he wants to make more snow money? Plows. You know, he wants, snow plows there, you know. So I, I kind of figured it's, it's a fair question to kind of check in on like Phil's agenda. And, you know, you know, because by the way, we, we actually think we have a woodchuck uh, underneath our deck. So that was another thing I said. You know, is there some sort of conspiracy going on? And he has like, you know, a, a spy over here in Connecticut checking in on us. Uh, and I don't know if he came after I tweeted that out and he's kind of watching me, but I've uh, seen a woodchuck up close now. And uh, apparently they're very solo. They are kind of, they, they live in solo social settings. So I, I, I figured I, I just had to ask the question. I don't want to offend the woodchuck community, uh, which is also a groundhog. <laughs> but um, I do have to ask, what is Phil's agenda? Has there been any uh, pushback from the groundhog community? You know, I, I have not, although I'm wondering if the groundhog we currently have is eating through our um, our deck at some point out of revenge and vengeance, <laughs> if he has Twitter, that is. So, um, but yeah, I, I don't know. But uh, very interesting. I'm very curious. 
Yeah. Well, here's what we really need to ask about that groundhog. Will we have six more weeks of lockout? (laughs) (laughs) And we'll get into we'll get into that with our guest Whit Murrayfield momentarily. But uh, you know, Doug, one of the big issues in these labor talks is tanking and the players' insistence that baseball needs to do more to stop it and get more teams competing. Uh, To me, there's been way too little national indignity about tanking in baseball. And yet, last week, there was massive national outrage about tanking in the NFL after Brian Flores, uh, the just-fired Dolphins coach, filed a suit and accused his former owner, Stephen Ross, of offering him $100,000 for every loss so they could wind up with the number one pick in the draft, who turned out to be Joe Burrow. And We've talked about this a little, Doug. It never ceases to amaze me, the difference in perception of the NFL versus the way baseball is perceived. And I understand that in this case, there's a difference. It's not like, just to pick an example, Peter Angelos has not been accused of offering Buck Showalter $100,000 for every 10-game losing streak, right? But isn't it obvious that tanking is now as real a thing in baseball as all of a sudden the world seems to have noticed it is in football? Sure. I mean, there's no doubt. And, and it's also just the incentive, right? I mean, you you build teams by free agency, you build teams by development, you build teams in the draft. And the draft is a big difference when you have that number one pick. And, you know, so teams know that in baseball, because so many teams to be number one, it takes a lot of effort <laughs> to be number one in the draft. And, and so, you know, other sports, certainly have not been under the crosshairs in the same way as, as baseball. But it's a it's a reality of any sports system of development. You want to draft the best talent and put them in the system to be able to uh, have a good shot as another way to build a team, a championship team. And and I you know, you also can't dismiss the fact that, you know, we have there's much more of a connection with, with the gambling circuit as well. And I'm sure that I'm sure that creates another curiosity about well, all right, um, you know, people wage on these teams and sports and they say, well, wait a minute, this guy's like th- kind of throwing the game or throwing the season or whatever it is. I think that adds another curious, especially that's become a bigger part of the business of sports. Uh, certainly as a player, you know, I wanted to win, you know, every and, and you realize that when you're 20 games out in July in baseball, your chances are not very good. But, you know, you also know as a player, your career is finite. It's short. And every game, you want to have a chance to be out there and win. And when you go into spring training or go into the back end of a season knowing, um, you know, things are kind of cashed out already, that's not, you know, that's not the competition that, you know, anybody deserves. The fans, you know, the players that have these small windows of opportunity. So, yeah, I, I think it's it's something that clearly is trying to be addressed in these negotiations. I don't know how successfully but there's got to be a way to look at it because there's so many other systems, right? NHL, you know, drafts, they have ways to kind of rotate so that you're not always at the bottom. You know, there's things that they can do to make sure that there's some incentive to go out there and play through the finish line. All right, well, luckily, if they're looking for ideas, they've come to the right place. (laughs) Just have to stop by Starkville. We can fix tanking. In fact, I've got a couple of ideas that I'd I'd love to hear what you think of them. Uh, First is one that I wrote about earlier in the offseason. You mean you mentioned the the value of the number one pick. Here's how I would change the draft. 
I don't want these teams losing 110 games to get the number one pick. I want to see the top pick go to the team that missed the playoffs and won the most games. In other words, that would have been the Blue Jays this past year. So then I would reverse the draft order so then the, the team with the next most wins among the non-playoff teams would get the second pick and so on. So in other words, like if you if you lose 110 games, if you lost the most games in the league, I don't know how many teams are going to wind up with in the playoffs when this thing gets done. But if it's 14, now you wouldn't get the first pick. You'd get the 16th pick. Uh, I, I know that nobody has shown any interest in this idea other than a bunch of fantasy leagues I've heard from. <laughs> but, Doug, I, this would definitely work. What do you think? I mean, it, you know, I remember you mentioned this uh, last year. I, I, I think it makes a lot of sense. And if you want to talk about incentivizing being the best, and you might be the best of the rest, but it's it certainly creates a motivation to go out and win as many games as you can. And, you, you know, otherwise you're the 16th pick or whatever the playoff situation is. So, I think that's a great idea. I think there's a way that teams would say, okay, all right, now if I win 81 games or whatever it is and just barely make it, I, there's still something to celebrate because we had a good season. And we should be rewarded for it. Uh, I don't know what, what what are the detractors, I guess I should ask you. I mean, is it that well, you feel, you know, the teams that just happen to get stomped on all year uh, are so bad that you got to help them out? I understand that, but I don't know. Spend more money. I don't know what the answer is, but... They'd probably be seeing, viewing it very differently un, under such a system. Yeah, like, you know, the argument in b- baseball is uh, this is cyclical. Uh, then you're, you're, you're punishing teams, especially small market teams who have to go through that rebuilding cycle. Okay, whatever. Like, here's the thing. I did some research. I looked at the 2010 through 2018 drafts. So that's nine years worth of drafts, and those guys should be getting to the big leagues now, right? The difference in total wins above replacement by the guys who got picked number one versus the guys who got picked number 16 was 100 wins. 100. Like, there really was only one true impact player who's gotten picked with that number 16 spot over those nine drafts. That was Lucas Giolito, who really only went that late in the draft because he just had Tommy John surgery. You know, he would have gone a lot higher uh, in a normal situation. And they, you know, the whites, the, the Nationals took a chance on him. And, hey, he's been great, not for the Nationals. But, like, this just tells us that, you know, this idea that the baseball draft is a crapshoot, it's not true. <laughs> the, the picks at the top have tremendous value. Once you get into the middle and the latter parts of the first round and beyond, then the crapshoot sets in. So 100 extra wins above replacement would seem to me to be plenty of motivation to try to win instead of try to tank. So that's one idea. Here's my second idea. Um, the union has said not interested in a minimum payroll. Why is that? Because philosophically, the union, this union, has always been opposed to any kind of salary cap, payroll cap. So they say it would be inconsistent logic to be in favor of a floor. But here's an alternative idea. It's been 25 years since the union agreed to a tax, a luxury tax, a tax on the teams at the top. So philosophically, what do we know? The union is not opposed to 
taxes. So if I were the king of baseball, I would also have a tax, not just on the biggest spenders, which is the way they do it now, but on the the, the teams at the bottom. We'd have some bottom threshold for teams that aren't interested in spending. Let's say we make it $90 million. Okay, you have to have a $90 million payroll. So you're the pirates. You're in one of those cycles. Uh, you can you can still spend $40 million if you want to. It's your choice. But if you do, you there would be a tax on that $50 million or whatever where you're under the minimum threshold. And then just like at the top, the tax would get steeper every year. You want to go under for two years, three years, four years? You can do that. But the tax penalties are tougher. And then there'd be other penalties. Uh, you, there'd be penalties in the draft. You'd lose money off your international signing pool, just the way teams do at the top. Doug, I am convinced yeah. this would work. Thumbs up or thumbs down from you? I got to go thumbs up, Jay. I mean, I, I think it's a good idea. It's funny. I always know that, well, you don't want to build a floor because then you build a ceiling, you know, the, the idea. But it is consistent to match the top and the bottom. You're saying, okay, well, there's a tax here and there's a tax there. Um, yeah, and you can hash out the numbers. But I'm sure the, the, the fear on the Players Association side is, although it sort of is consistent, it's like, wait a minute, we're creating another tax, right? We're creating another tax. And, you know, eventually you start thinking, well, we're going to tax who has red spikes and blue spikes. You know, there's always a fear, and it's grounded in history, that one thing is added and it snowballs into something else. And, and that sort of trepidation around, wait a minute, what is this going to actually look like in practice? And, and we've added something that nobody's asking for, let's say. But I, I think on a practical <laughs> level, it, it makes a lot of sense. You're just saying, look, you don't have to spend all this money, but you know you can get up to this level. Now, I don't know, maybe it's if a team is the Pirates, say, and they say, all right, I'm gonna only, I can only spend $40 million. Now I got to spend whatever, $26 million to get to the $40 million because of the tax. I mean, if they're really cash-strapped, I guess that's a problem. But... I don't know. It, it's you, so many teams that are they actually strapped? Or are they just deciding to redistribute the money in a certain way? I mean, I think that's going to be the question on a case by case basis. All right, but but cheer in on this idea, just as an yeah, idea. Yeah, I do. I like okay. it. Okay. I think it's a good Great. idea. All right, so there you go. Uh, you and I just fixed tanking <laughs> in under ten minutes. The labor negotiators haven't been able to fix it in two and a half months. We did it in under ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so if only we were in charge, Doug, the world would be such a happier place. Hey, we should do an episode right out of MLB offices. Just We're going to do a Starkville edition as we solve the labor crisis. And, we uh, could do this. this. This would be interesting. I'm sure we'd be, you know, security would be called on us, but it'd be fun. It would be, <laughs> keep the cameras rolling. I, yeah, this is an idea for a future Starkville, for, to be sure. We'll go through the issues. We'll get it fixed. What, like, what's our over-under? Like, 25 minutes get the whole thing settled. <laughs> I think so. 30 <laughs> minutes, maybe. <laughs> okay. I, I'm in. I don't know who else would be in, but I am in. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
Hey, Doug, I cannot wait to talk to our very special guest today. Because, you know, it isn't often we get to talk to a three-time stolen base champ. Yeah. <laughs> but we, we will today. It's not me. Uh, it's definitely not me. So <laughs> it, Right. You, you, like, you do not qualify. <laughs> That's right. But you know who does, Doug? Whit Merrifield. Uh, Whit Merrifield of those Kansas City Royals has just arrived to visit us here in Starkville. Whit, it is great to have you join us. How are you, man? I'm great. Hope you guys are. Yeah, we are. Oh, yeah. Starkville. I like that name. Starkville. <laughs> I played there in college. A little different Starkville, but it was a fun place to play. Yeah, we love it when people visit this Starkville who visited the quote-unquote actual Starkville. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to bash on Starkville too much, but I'm, y'all's Starkville is a little nicer than, than that Starkville. All right. We, like, Good to hear. Let's, let, let's make sure this this is recorded for posterity. This might come in handy at some point. <laughs> All right. Uh, Look, we'll talk about base stealing and uh, other fun stuff in a minute, but I guess we need to invite the elephant into the room because we're a week away from what was supposed to be pitchers, catchers, start of spring training, and I don't need to tell you, that's not going to happen. So, look, you're the player rep for the Royals. Uh, You've made your voice heard here in the last few days. Uh, Let me just start by asking you about what you tweeted the other day. Uh, This was your tweet. Seems to me like in order to get a collective bargaining agreement done, you need to bargain. <laughs> so, uh, ex- explain to the people listening what you mean by that. Well, we, we've been frustrated for a long time over uh, getting to the table and, and, and hashing a deal out. Um, I mean, a- after, after we were locked out, we went six weeks without talking to the league. And that's that just that just can't happen that just shouldn't happen um and then uh, as recently as last week um we had a meeting with them and we proposed our proposal um you know we went back and forth on some some topics and we ended the meeting by by them saying we'll get back to you and actually they kind of snark snarkily said in two days unlike the it took us about a week to get back to them and so that you know they said it'll be two days, unlike the week it took you guys to get back to us. And so we were waiting a couple of days and then, um, you know, they came out with this idea of a mediator, which in our league's history has not has not been very uh, productive. So we felt instead of bringing in an outside uh, mediator that would actually delay the process for, you know, probably an extra three weeks. Uh, we wanted to get back on the table and, and and talk and and have them come back to us with a proposal like they had told us they would, and instead they were just trying to um, delay the process even even longer. And we have no interest in that. We're interested in getting to the table and, and getting a deal done. You know, what would you say is your biggest source of frustration in how these talks have gone, where they've gone so far? Um, I mean, you've made your your side's views pretty clear about what it is you're looking for. Yeah, there's just there's a there's a flaw in the in the way our our CBA is 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 structured and and they they there's a there's an exploitation with with young players and young players bring such a or bring such a value to the game that they're not being you know fairly compensated for it and um, that that's a big thing. There's too much uh, there's too much losing going on uh intentional losing 
at that. And so we got to address that. Um, we got to address teams making it very clear. They have no interest in coming anywhere close to that, that CBT threshold. Um, you know, there's a, a lot of teams that don't come anywhere near it, you know, hundreds of a hundred million dollars below it. Um, so all these things, and, and, and we feel like we've presented a fair, fair reasoning as to why we're at the point we're at, why this stuff makes sense based on where the game's at. The game's done an incredible job of, of growing. Um, the revenue the, the league brings in is, is, is insane. And based on where the league's at and what it's doing, we feel like it's, it's only right to have some better compensation for, for the product. And that's, that's us players. Yeah, Whit, I mean, how would you characterize sort of the the player resolve around this? It's uh it's all often one of the X factors when you're in these negotiations to say, okay, you know, time can work against you kind of feeling, right? The pressure that uh, you know, I came from a period where ninety four, ninety five, I was sort of part of that strike. I wasn't even in the big leagues yet, but I had to sit out as a forty man roster guy. And now there's, you know, been generations of quote peace, so to speak. And there's often this interest on, you know, owner side to say, well, let's see, test these guys. Let's see, like they haven't really had that experience of being completely unable, you know, starting to miss games. So I'm curious when you, you know, when you talk about the younger players, that sort of made me think about how you're getting everybody on the same page, you know, moving in the same direction. I mean, what have you, what's your sort of take in characterizing that? Players are awesome. Players are, are, are very uh, motivated to, to get done what we're talking about. Um, I think they realize where the game is at. Uh, they realize what's going on and they realize that um, there's too much manipulation and, and, and um, they, they see players getting taken advantage of and, and they, they want to make a change and they know now's the time to make the change. Um, and, and besides that, you know, there's a lot of players on a lot of teams that are sick of going into the year knowing the year is going to be 162 games and then they're going to go home. And, and that's guys are sick of that. And um, we're, we're ready to make a change. And it's, it's been really cool to see how united guys are across the league. And uh, you know, we're, we're, we're very passionate about what we're asking for. Well, what, I mean, one, one follow up on that is what's interesting to me is you mentioned these young players and what do you think the transition has been from a generation ago where sometimes the young guys were seen as, hey, go pay your dues. I went through this, you know, you know, suck it up, like wait for your money. Like it's fascinating to me to see this shift and really trying to uplift these guys, trying to get their value. I mean, what did you see in your time that that's really changed that culture? Yeah, I think the, the, the amount of talent that has come up at such a young age. I mean, guys are developing so quickly now. Um, you know, it, you don't see – you know, there used to be the you know the King Griffey Juniors, the Alex Rodriguez, the sort of once in a generation type guys. We're seeing three or four of those guys a year now. You look at Vladdy, you look at Acuna, look at Tatis. Um, you got, we got a guy named Bobby Wood Jr. That's going to be one of those guys. I mean, you're seeing guys like this every year, and so we the the amount of young talent that's coming year after year is uh, it's really where the game is is trending towards and where the eyes are trending towards and 
as being a part of a business that's as big as our business is and having those guys as sort of the the face of our business it's it these guys can't make five hundred thousand dollars a year they just can't it's it's not it doesn't add up at all and so that's i think that's where the big shift is, has started to happen you know you haven't actually mentioned that word tanking but it, i mean it's pretty clear that you that's what we're talking about yeah. doug and i just spent some time talking about it ourselves and um like you can see that there are uh, some some concepts that have been thrown out there to address tanking one of them is draft lottery um if you guys can if if you can come to an understanding of some form of draft lottery how far would that go to address what you're talking about so the teams would stop trying to lose 110 games i think it's definitely a step in the right direction it definitely is um and i think both sides agree agree in principle that there's got to be more winning or there's got to be more incentive to win and teams have to actually try to win um and and i think that's like i said i think that's a a good step in the right direction um i don't know if that would solve the problem but i think it helps get the ball rolling in that right direction so uh, we'll continue to to think about it and come up with different ways to to try to incentivize teams for winning and punish teams for losing Um, but i definitely think that's a step in the right direction yeah me too and you know you also talked about spending and like an idea that uh, i've always thought was attractive is I, I know that the union philosophically is opposed to a minimum payroll, but philosophically, the union has already accepted the concept of the tax at the, on teams that go over a threshold. What about a tax at the bottom also? In other words, a tax on teams that go under a certain payroll. You can make it whatever we want, $90 million. If you want to, pay, if you want to be the pirates and spend $40 million, okay, that's your choice. But there would be a tax that went with that. There would be draft pick penalties that went with that. There would be international signing pool penalties that went with that, just like at the top. Is that a concept that you think is interesting to players? Um, I mean, it's, it's you know, we talk, we, there's always conversations about uh, things of that nature, and it's a constant conversation, and, and you know, we take it to our um, – economists and, and people that can look at that and see the value that it would have, you know, for players in the league. And um, yeah, it's definitely a conversation and uh, whether or not that's the answer, I don't know, but it's, it's definitely um, we're, we're open. We're always open to ideas and open to, to talking about ways to, to increase spending and increase um, teams desire to win. And that's, that's something that we have talked about and um, we'll probably continue to talk about it. You know, as somebody who's covered way too much labor <laughs> in my day, um, it like it's just surprising to me that we're here in the middle of February and concepts like this haven't even made it to the table. Uh, the competitive balance tax really hasn't even made it to the table. How surprised are you that like we haven't even gotten to that point yet and it's February? Well, it's, it's, it's been on the table. We've brought it up every single meeting multiple times. So it's, uh, it's something <laughs> that, that we continue to bring up and continue to try to, to try to talk about. And, um, uh, as of what is today, the seventh, it's, uh, the league has continued to uh, kind of knock it down as soon as we bring it up. So, um, hopefully that changes soon. 
but it's something that uh, we feel very strongly about and we continue to 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 bring up and um at some point you know these guys have uh, have got to got to address it and got to talk to us about it and so if if it doesn't change is that that issue that you think players are prepared to go to war over well if that's it's, the right word honestly it's it, it's a package it, it's it's everything um it's all of these things that we're talking about we're not we didn't just bring them up because we think you know it's we're, we're being greedy we, we really think this is the best way to improve our game and improve our uh, uh players and it's a fair a fair thing to ask um in any business if if you're doing something that generates the company more and more money you're going to go ask for a raise because it's that's that's how business works and that's what we're asking these, these young players are generating billions and billions of dollars a year for baseball and in doing so we're going to knock it on the boss's door asking for a raise because that's the way business works and so uh along with that along with tanking along with the the cbt along with the service time manipulation all of it works together and all of it's gonna help make our game better and help um, players be on the fair side of this business well what i mean what what do you think you bring to the table just coming from a market like kansas city a smaller market how does that inform you know how you engage on this because you know i i relate to going to spring training and trying to see, read the tea leaves, all right, how we're going to compete, you know, just the, the financial constraints that some teams have more than others. And, um, you know, so what does Kansas City as a market and that pride and that bring to your sort of negotiation, your passion around this? Yeah, we, you know, we're, we're, we're a smaller market team, um, but we've proven in the years past that, that we can win and that we can spend money. And um, it's, it, it's a, it's hard for me because I, I've developed a relationship uh, over the years with, with Dayton Moore and um, gotten to know uh, John Sherman uh, pretty well the last couple of years. And um, I, I really do feel like their hearts are in the right place. And I don't I can't say the same about other organizations, um, but I, I feel like they really do. They're baseball men. They're in they're in the business for the right reasons. Um, they want to win baseball games. And that's why. Mr. Sherman came on and uh, bought the team because he's a baseball man and wants to win baseball games. And I think if we can get to the point where we can free them up to spend some money and show them that this is beneficial in this way, you know, I think it's going to be, it's going to be great for, for markets like, like Kansas city. Um, Cause it's a great sports town. Fans love it. Um, and, you know, we're fortunate that, we have Mr. Sherman and Dayton uh, leading our team because I do feel like it's from a small market standpoint. I feel like we do it. We've done it the right way under the current structure of the CBA. So it's uh, I, I'm not so much discouraged by us. I'm discouraged by what I see <laughs> from other teams. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because one thing I've always really admired about Dayton is he doesn't tank. He does not believe in that. Uh, he doesn't believe. He, he's always thought fans deserve more than that. And so, what's the lesson that the Royals teach to other teams, to the rest of the sport? Well, it's just, it's just that you know, it's it's it should be there should be an expectation at Game One to win 
every single game that you step on the field. You know, it's not going to happen. Obviously, in baseball, you're there's a I forgot who said it, but there's a saying: you're going to win fifty, you're going to lose fifty, and the sixty-two, it kind of kind of is going to make or break your year. There's sixty-two in between, and um, so you you know you're not going to win every game, but you should expect to win every game, and you should feel like you have a, a product on the field that can go out and do that. Um, and it's not playing for, you know, three years down the road. Um, it's playing for right now because you don't know what, what's going to happen down the road. You should you should approach every game and every season like this is your time to win. And that's just not – there's just not enough of that happening. I mean, do you take a lot of time on, on history? Is that, I remember when Don Fear was, was uh, running the Players Association – uh, it was big. Every spring training, he'd come in and kind of walk you through the timeline. So I'm curious how much you have pride in, like, the guys before. Is there a lot of discussion about that history? Yeah, yeah, we've talked about the guys before. And um, even even before all this happened, there's a constant appreciation for what players before us did. You know, when we go to a nice hotel and have a, a great room by ourselves, that was fought for. Guys, guys used to have to share rooms, and there used to not be a, you know, a, a, a hotel didn't have to meet a certain standard for guys to stay in it. So it's there's a constant appreciation for what guys before us have fought for, and um, I think players know this is our time to fight for future players. And um, it, it, like I said, from my team standpoint, it's been fantastic. Guys are guys are very informed, uh, understand, and are willing to continue to do what's right for our game moving forward. So it's been, it's been great. Hey, hey, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about you and your story, because it's a story that's so inspiring uh, to so many people. I mean, especially people who don't always have the energy that you had to follow your dream. You know, I'm not sure how many people outside of Kansas city know all about you, but just to run through it, you were undrafted out of high school uh, even after you signed with the Royals, they left you exposed in the Rule 5 draft. Uh, didn't reach the big leagues until age 27. Didn't get to play a full season of the big leagues until 28. But I've always thought belief is such an important quality in sports. Um, so what fueled your belief uh, that what we've seen you do was possible? Well, I had done it everywhere I had been um, starting in high school as a freshman in high school, I was an undersized under appreciated kid, a freshman that there was no expectation of me coming up and doing, making the varsity team or, or even really being a starter on the JB team. And I showed up and ended up earning a, this starting second base job and ended up becoming, having, having a good year and then got to college and same thing. You know, I was, the uh, the common theme behind my name was, oh, I'm only gotten this where I've gotten because of my father, who was a Hall of Famer at Wake Forest, really good uh, baseball player, but he, he's he's very involved in in sports in the in the area here, and so I was always fighting that stigma. You know, you're only doing what you're doing because your dad got you there and all that stuff. And so when I got to college, I only got to South Carolina because of my dad. He knew Coach Tanner apparently, and. So that's, that was the, the kind of or behind me. And then I earned a starting center field job and had a great college career. And I'd always just sort of adapted to the circumstance I was in. Um, but then I got to pro ball and it became a different game than anything I'd ever played. 
in the minor leagues anyway, because it was all about you. It was all about what do I got to do to move up? And I'm not talented, talented enough to go out and just play for myself every day. I've got to have that, that factor of, of playing for a team and trying to win the game that kind of gets my game going. And I struggled a little bit in the minor leagues. You know, I didn't really, I was just okay. I was just very average. I wasn't doing anything to set myself apart. Um, got to AAA and felt like I was right there. And so had a little bit more, I guess, juice to get me going. And then got to the big leagues and I was like, all right, this is the game I remember. This is the game where you show up every day and you just do what you have to do to win. And that's where I feel like my game kind of flourishes. And then as a, I guess as a manager, to see me play in that aspect and dynamic brings a little more value than just going out and watching me play and go, all right, this guy hit a ground ball a second. You know, we run our second, nobody out. It's a ground ball a second, but in the minor leagues, that's a, you're 0 for 1 with a pretty weak at bat. So that I think all of that sort of – I understood it, and I understood, and if I got to the big leagues, I'd be able to, to get back to who I was, and that's kind of what happened. Of course, you know, you reach that age – you were 26 year old, 26 years old, and still in the minor leagues. And uh, like I'm sure it it gets easy to wonder if, if you're ever going to get that chance in the big leagues. Yeah. Um, how, what kind of thoughts ran through your head at that again at that age and that stage? Yeah, I there was I can't tell you the number of times where I was figuring out if this was for me or not, and if I if I, if I wanted to continue to try it or if it was, if I was just wasting time, if, if it was something that wasn't going to work out for me. And um, I, I was, I'm fortunate in the sense to where my father went through the same thing. He played, uh, was a second rounder with the angels and got the triple a and was behind Doug Desensei, uh with, with the angels and had nowhere to go. And he got impatient and decided to retire. And, um, so when I was going through that, you know, I had somebody that had been through it to kind of bounce my thoughts back, back off of. And he was very supportive of whatever I wanted to do. I mean, there was multiple times that I was done. I was, I was calling it quits. But uh, the one thing he always said that I tell people was he always told me that once I take my cleats off, just know that I can't put them back on. So you got to be, you got to be dead set on being finished with baseball. If, if that's what you want to do. And you know, I would sleep on it if I went over and had a bad game and or somebody got called up where I thought that should have been me. You know, I would sleep on it. I'd be really mad that night. And then the next morning I'd wake up. And if I had that, it, even a little bit of an inkling that I wanted to continue to pursue it, I would keep going because I knew if I quit, then I wouldn't get another chance. So that never went away. That that little bit of hope never, never went away. And um, even though I went through a lot of times where it felt like, it was just inevitable. I w it wasn't going to get a chance. Um, I stuck it out and ended up working out. You know, I, I know a little bit about your, your father's story. Um, called up by the Pirates, spent, what, a couple of weeks in the big leagues, never made it into a game. How, how much has he talked about that experience? Yeah, that was that – was, uh, he doesn't talk about it a whole lot, but if it comes up, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll tell it. But it was, just, it was just one day he got – Called up from Edmonton, uh, oh, okay. showed up, 
was a third baseman, but he was going to play first that night. He was hitting sixth. He took batting practice. Um, and after the game ends up getting rained out, Jim Leland is the manager, calls him in and goes, hey, I want you to go to Florida to work on first base. Uh, and then we'll bring you back up. And goes down there and his, I think, second or third day down there, breaks his foot, fouls ball off his foot and breaks his foot. The season's over. Doesn't get a chance to get back up that year. And then the next year, breaks spring training and goes to AAA, starts out on the Phantom DL and ends up calling it a career. So um, that was that was kind of his story, uh, kind of crazy. I actually saw Coach Leland. Um, I don't know why I call him Coach Leland, but J- uh, Jim. <laughs> um, I saw him in Detroit and and uh, told him that story. And he got – he kind of laughed, which I didn't think it was a, that funny of a story, but yeah. <laughs> we had a we had a nice back and forth about it. I was going to say, are there any any moments that you kind of you know you circle, I guess, that were really transformative for you, like to push you really clearly in the direction, like this is you know I'm going to be here, uh, or or mentors or something that a conversation that might have been really a change agent for you. Um. Well, the the moment that sticks out to me was when I didn't make the team in 2017 after uh, after having a good rookie year. I played in 100 games, and I think I hit around 280 and felt like I had earned a, earned my place in the team. I didn't make the team in 17, and uh, it, really, it really sort of changed, I guess, my mentality on how to approach every, every day in the big leagues. Um, there's always – when I'm at, when you're at this level, this is the level everybody wants to be at, and there's thousands and thousands of guys that are ready to take your job. And I, I realized that in 16, when you know I played pretty well, but didn't play well enough to earn a spot. And I thought back on all of those moments and at bats that I had just kind of given it away. You know, I I gone, I was two for three, and felt pretty good about my day, and then go. Over two with two kind of non-competitive at bats to to end the game, and just think about you know if you can stay engaged every pitch of every game for a three-hour span, you know there's twenty to thirty at bats where instead of just kind of giving it away, you focus in and 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 do something positive, and that turns you from having an average year to a pretty good, to you know a good to a great year, and um, that that kind of keeps you keeps your job and keeps you moving forward. So that was I think that was the biggest change in you know, my mentality and, and how I how I approach every day. And um went down and was in AAA for two weeks and uh played really well and got a chance to come back up and um just haven't haven't given it up. So you know, watching you, I've, I've thought about this a lot. I, I really don't think that in our lifetimes we've seen any player who's had a career quite like yours. Uh, I actually did some research on this. Uh, in the expansion era, so that's 60 years, uh, I can only find two players who made their big league debut at age 27 or older, and then in their first six seasons had 150 steals and 900 hits. One of those players is Ichiro. The other is you. What does it mean to you that your path to this career has been so unique? Um, you know, it, 
it means a lot. You know, I, I've worked really, really hard to get to this point in my career. And, um, you know, hopefully it's, it, it just shows young, a younger generation that it doesn't really matter when it happens. As long as you get an opportunity, be ready for that opportunity. And um, I finally got mine and have taken advantage. And uh, I, know, I know the age kind of gets thrown around in my name a lot, but I'm 33, but I, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm a, a different 33 than a lot of people. You know, if you, if you put myself to some 28 year olds, I feel like I'm a lot younger than a lot of 28 year olds. So um, I, I, I feel like I've done a pretty good job of keeping my body in a good place. And um, I think my performance is, has kind of reflected that. <laughs> well, what, what about the art of the stolen base? That, you know, that's, that's something that's always fascinated how uh, excellent you have uh, taken this craft and, and done it in a time where it's de-emphasized. It's, uh, mm -hmm. it's statistically questioned all the time about the necessity. I mean, what has been your inspiration and just your development in how you've been able to excel at, at stealing a base? Well, one, I, I really like stealing bases. I, <laughs> I, I thoroughly enjoy it. And I think that's a big part is, is guys don't want to do it because it's, uh, one, it's hard. It, it's, it's hard on your body. You exert, have to exert a lot of energy to, to, to get to get it done and get it done successfully um and uh, it's something that i've always enjoyed doing um i think it's an important part of the game whether or not analytics say it is i think it is um i think there's parts of it that that can't be quantified i think when i'm on first if i if salvador perez is hitting and i can get the pitcher to give me 10 percent of his attention that gives salvi instead of having that strike the ball slider now he gets a little spinner and he can hit it in the fountains like he did a lot last year you know i think i think that part of this the the running game it can't be quantified uh, but i think it's very important and um so when it comes to stealing I, that's there's a lot of there's a lot of reasons why i think it's important but that's that's a, that's a main one um but as far as what i've done and the success i've had with it i I credit a lot to Rusty Kutz, our first base coach. He's taught me a lot about preparation of it, um, keys to look on uh, certain pitchers. And I really enjoy that. I enjoy the prep work. I enjoy – it's like a puzzle to me. You know, everybody – every pitcher's got to have something, some sort of tell. And it's it's a fun it's a fun game for me to try to find that tell every day. And I think I've gotten better at it and um, done some good things and, and found some – that's the things I don't think a lot of people would find. Well, without without naming names, so you don't have to give away your secrets. What has been the craziest <laughs> tell that you've found? Like a pitcher does, like just like, oh wow! And of course, you never want to tell anybody <laughs> except maybe your team. Um, let's see. Probably the craziest the the craziest one is <laughs> a guy. A guy. This, this is no joke. A guy. When he came, when he came set, and he was gonna throw to first, he I don't know or, or when he was gonna throw the plate, and I don't know how as a pitcher you do this, but it was almost like he would get a wedgie, and so you would see <laughs> you would see his pants kind of like form that wedgie, and when he would throw to first, it was like he was more relaxed or something, and it was just and so every time I saw that wedgie, I started leaning. I was like, All right, you going to the plate. So it just it's 
like I said, that, that kind of stuff to me is, is a lot of fun. I really enjoy trying to find stuff like, I mean, obviously that's a little bit of an extreme example, but that's um, that kind of stuff I really enjoy. Can I ask you how you figured that out? Is that something that you, <laughs> no, no, you that noticed was a, on video? Or? That, was a rusty, that was a rusty find. Yeah, yeah credit to Rusty, rusty. on that one. I think the whole I think the whole division is going to get like baggy pants now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I, I can tell you, kind of, he's a tight pants guy. So you know, it kind of narrows it down for you. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know. You know. Uh, I talked to you last year for a story I was working on about all these uh, rule changes they're messing with in the minor leagues to try to encourage more base stealing. You know, limits on. You, you can only throw over to first base three times, or you have to step off before you throw to first base, and like they try these things in a ball and the rate of base stealing jumped to levels that we haven't seen in a hundred years. And yet, like when you and I talked about it, you were, you were really opposed to artificial stuff like this to help base stealing. I thought it was, I mean, I loved your take. I'd love to hear it again. Yeah. It just takes away from what I just talked about. It takes away from any sort of, preparation that you would have going into it you know it'd be like it'd be like hitting it'd be like, okay a pitcher can't throw more than two breaking balls in a row <laughs> you know that's it just takes away from from the art and the and the the cat and mouse game of of, of hitting and what they're doing is takes away from the base running cat and mouse game it's it's hard to steal a base and especially if you're not a Terrence Gore or a Billy Hamilton or a Gerard Dyson or a Trey Turner that you can, those guys are just, they can almost outrun the ball a lot of times. And there's not many people on this planet that are that fast. And so you have to find ways to get it done. And if you, if you give players that are stealing, you know, that a little bit of, of, of edge, you know, it's, I don't know. It just it just rubs me the wrong way because of what I know and I do. I feel like it gives me an advantage over other guys, and now you're taking that advantage away from me and uh, and other guys that that do the work to to steal bases or, or whatever it is to to get an advantage. And uh, I don't like it personally. So hopefully, if it comes, <laughs> hopefully it comes after I'm done playing. <laughs> Let me ask you about another thing that you do. You know, we live in an age now of load management. Uh, obviously, that's not a Whit Merrifield thing. You've played every game the Royals have played since June of 2018. It's what, it's 469 games in a row? Does that sound right? Um, it's, it's four something, yeah. So, I don't know exactly okay. the I, All right. Okay, since Cal Ripken's streak ended, which is a long time ago, there have only been two streaks longer than that. Uh, Prince Fielder a few years ago reached 547, so you're getting close to him. And then Miguel Tejada actually doubled Prince. He, he got to 11.52. But, you know, as you know, streaks are not just about health. They're about mindset. So w- what is it about you that makes you so determined to play every day? I, I would say there's there's a couple of things. Uh, one of them being it took me a long time to get to the big leagues, like we talked about earlier. And I know this window of me being at this level is short. And... I have no interest in just sitting back and watching uh, a game and I can do that when I retire. And so as long as our coaching staff and front office feel like I'm a valuable piece to the team and I need to be playing, I'm going to, I'm, 
I'm going to go play. If physically I'm able to go out there and play, I'm going to play. And the other aspect is I take such a pride in, in winning that I don't feel like I can help the team win the game if I'm on the bench. And uh, that's – it's just something that I've, I've, I've always felt. You know, I, I, I didn't – I think I missed one game in college. Uh, I had a growing issue that – or growing issue that coach felt like I couldn't play. And so – I didn't miss a game in high school. I didn't miss a game. Or I missed one game in college. So it's it's just always something that I've I've taken pride in. Uh, what's the saying? Your best availability is your or your best ability is your availability. Um, I believe in that, and I I work hard to put myself physically in a position uh, to to go out every day. And the hardest part hasn't been the physical part. The hardest part's been the mental part. You know, if you're zero for fifteen and <laughs> We're facing Shane Bieber that day, and it's a day game. It's 190 degrees in Kansas City in <laughs> August, and Coach goes, hey, wait, you need a day? There's a little bit back there that's like, oh, man, that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. But, but um, you know, I at the, at the end of the day, I'd take pride in going out there and, and being there for my team and playing. So should Ripken be getting worried? Uh, by my calculations, you would catch him in 2035. <laughs> Well, I told Dayton when I broke the record and they had a little uh, – Dayton had a little congratulations <laughs> thing for me. I told him, I said, Dayton, listen, if you sign me into 2035, I will play every day. I'll break that record. If you give me a contract right now to 2035, I'll be 40 – like 47 years old playing every day. I'm there for you. <laughs> okay. Hopefully we can get a dome in Kansas City by then. <laughs> Right, so when are they going to announce your 14-year extension? Uh, well, lockout. You know, we've been talking about it. We can't, can't, can't talk about it right now during the lockout. So, got it. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh yeah. So, so yeah, the every day. But, well, I always think about like, you know, the way you you approach the game, and it's uh, greatly appreciated uh, because of the little things. And and I remember in Double A we had a chart up that wasn't it was called winning baseball and they were focusing on moving runners and bunting and all that i mean so i guess where does that stem from and how much energy do you find having to push back against sort of what the general analytics world might say about the the details of it i mean how much does that take from you yeah it's it's been a, it's been a kind of a tough balance here the last couple of years um because the way the game is moving is is a little different than I guess my personal philosophy. And I say that in a sense of I don't mean that from a wins loss standpoint. I still I still believe that I don't think that my philosophy is the right philosophy, but I think that what I believe helps win games. I really do. But at the same time, from a business standpoint, that's not the stuff that guys are getting paid for. And so there's that little devil on my shoulder. That's like, you know, we got to run our second less than two outs where all of my instinct tells me, all right, do what you gotta do to get them over. But that little devil on my shoulder is like, yeah, but yeah, lefty out there at the 188. This is a good time to try to hit a homer and get your numbers up or whatever to. So the business side of it and, and I mean, guys, guys get paid for for homers and and or, uh, strikeouts are less and less important. 
year after year. And so that's, it's a tough, it's a tough thing for me to balance, but uh, I think I've done a good job of kind of flicking that little devil off my shoulder and, and staying true to who I am. And I'm going to ride that out as long as I can. And I'm very, very fortunate to play in for an organization that values that um, they value that winning type of baseball, that, that, that little things that a lot of people might not see. I'm fortunate that, that, um, that we do see that here. And so I think that's a big reason why I've been able to stick around and, um, and have had the success that I've had is because these guys keep running me out there because they understand that, that, that value. Yeah. On that note, uh, you, you know, you've been involved in like a thousand trade rumors and you've never been <laughs> traded. <laughs> I, I, are you surprised? And, uh, you know, we earlier, we talked about your belief in yourself. What do you think it says about the Royals belief in you that they never traded you? Yeah, it's, it's been, it was like probably like three years ago. It was, it weighed on me a little harder than the last couple of years. Um, Cause I had the first time I had like, I guess experienced it. I thought everything that was said was true. You know, I thought, I thought I was going to the Red Sox. I thought I was going to the projects. I thought I was going to the Cubs. I thought I was, you know, I talked to uh, Frank Thomas at the all-star game in 2019 at an Adidas party. And he told me that I was going to the Cubs two weeks after the all-star game. He said, you're going, I promise. I just talked to Theo. I said, Okay, so you know, I go home and I'm like packing my bag, like all right, get to places in Chicago. I'm like, where, where, what? Looking at the schedule, like who are they playing? Am I going to Atlanta? Do I get to go see my family? Stuff like that. And then you know, obviously, it never happened. And um, the older I've gotten, the more I've gotten. Uh, my relationship with Dayton has grown, and he's been super transparent with me, very honest, and I'm very appreciative of that. And uh, I'm only out. Last year and this year, you know, I, I've told myself if Dayton doesn't say it, I don't believe it. So he's, if I ever have any questions, I can call him. And he's, like I said, he's very transparent and, and honest with me. So I, I'm very appreciative of that. But I, uh, I, I'm happy to be in Kansas City. I think it's a great city. I think it's a great organization. Um, I've made a lot of great friends here. Um, and at this point, I've been around for a lot of the bad. And there's a lot of good coming. And so I got no interest in, in missing out on the good. I missed out on it before in 15, 14 and 15, and I don't want to miss out on, miss out on it again. Yeah, on, on that note, uh, you start thinking about the Royals' future. They have a guy coming who I know you've heard of. His name is Bobby Witt Jr. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know the Royals love guys named Witt, obviously. That's going to be the hardest thing when he gets up there. Is you know, if someone someone yells wit, I'm gonna turn around and they're gonna be asking for Bobby's autograph. I'm gonna be really embarrassed. So I'm not used to that. <laughs> yeah, you know, the, the, like one of the the bad things about him coming is you played more at second base than anywhere else in the field, even though you bounce around a lot. So I, I think there's gonna be less opportunity there. Um, but you've also gotten a chance to see him play a little bit, especially last spring. You have a Bobby Witt Jr. story, anything you saw him do or anything that just really jumped out at you? Uh, I guess, so I, I've seen Bobby a little bit before this past spring and got to know him over spring. I, I can't, I can't tell you uh, how good of a kid he is. You know, I can't, I can't stress that enough. He's just the, the most humble kid willing to learn, you know, willing to take advice and, and kind of mold it in his own way. 
which is what all great players have to do. You know, you're going to get thrown lots of different things. And to be a great player, you have to be able to absorb that and, and kind of twist it into your own way. And he's done a fantastic job of that. Um, but, you know, I, I'd seen him hit balls. I'd seen him do all that. And then we always do, a, a, I guess, the first like week of camp, all of our testing stuff. And he did his 10-yard split. And Alberto Montesi is the fastest human being, well, outside of maybe Terrence Gore that, that I've seen. I think he's he's one of the freak athletes in our game. And um, I saw Bobby run his 10-yard split. And Monty's always light years ahead of everybody. And I saw Bobby run, and I kind of, like, stopped and looked at our, our strength coach and said, what was that? And he, he looked at this thing and goes, that was – a hundredth of a second faster than Mondi. And I was like, Oh my God. So I didn't, I never realized Bobby <laughs> wow. was that fast. Um, he's hit balls, you know, 470 feet or whatever he did in spring training. And, uh, you know, he makes diving plays and throws guys out, but the speed part was the thing that really stood out to me. And, uh, he's a hard worker. And I'm excited to see what he can do with the major league level. Yeah. It's going to be exciting. Uh, you, you know, when I, I, I know you, got the hit that won the college world series once upon a time. I, I hope you get that opportunity uh, with the Royals one of these days. How, how close are the Royals to playing baseball in October? I think, I mean, I don't see why that can't happen in 2022. We have, we have all the pieces offensively. uh, We feel like we are where we need to be. And um, we've got, I mean, I could go through the, the young arms it would take me 10 minutes to go through all the young arms that we have but i mean we had carlos hernandez that took a, took a huge step forward for us last year and he's a big donkey that throws upper 90s with you know three break three off-speed pitches that he could throw for strikes uh we got brady singer we got brad keller we got um, chris bubik we got daniel lynch um we got jonathan heasley we got angel zerpa we got all these guys that are coming asa lacy's a young guy that's still developing but he was our i think a fourth fourth pick overall for us um we've got all these we got a couple guys coming off of tommy john we got this guy dylan coleman that sitting 100 miles an hour um we got domingo tapia that's the one 98 mile an hour bowling balls he came over to us from seattle <laughs> ended up having like a like a one and a half era out of the pin for us um scott barlow's turned into a, a really really good closer so we've got all these names that that a lot of people have never heard of, um, but they'll hear about them really quickly. And we just got to have guys stay healthy and guys perform at the level that we know they can. And there's no reason we can't be there in 2022. Well, with uh, this has been special, man. Uh, I, I wish we were all hanging out around a batting cage or under a palm tree yeah. in spring training, <laughs> but can't do that. Starkville's the next best place to hang out. So, <laughs> well, well, listen, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, look forward to seeing you at a ballpark somewhere, hopefully somewhere soon. Yeah, thank you guys. Thanks for having me. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network. You're there to look for jobs. You're there to post jobs. And how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job 
job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. All right, Doug, it is that time again. Time for listener trivia, our way of involving you, our favorite listeners in this show. Once again, here in 2022, we continue to literally involve you. We pick a trivia question from some lucky listener. Then we invite that lucky listener to join us on the show and attempt to stump us with their question. We'll tell you how you can do that in just a few minutes. Doug, our big Trivia hot streak was snapped on our last show, but it's crazy. We're so confident now, we don't even care. Like, is that us now? We're yeah. we're like Ken Jennings. We're like Amy Schneider. Our reputation is so etched in stone, it can never be dented. Yeah, I mean, after they rolled out the banner on the side of the Starkville wall to commemorate the fact that we passed Cal Ripken, <laughs> I mean, after that, nothing matters. So I feel like we're pretty good right now. We're in good shape. Uh-huh. We didn't pass Cal Ripken. We didn't pass you know that, right? I but thought we did. No. But we have streak. We had a streak. And I'm looking forward to starting a new streak this week. And if that happens, it'll be a huge story in at least one big league city. You know where, Doug? That city is San Diego. Mm. You know why, Doug? Because this week's special trivia guest star is the Padres' awesome radio play-by-play voice, Jesse Agler. We love this question, now we welcome him to Starkville. Jesse, thanks for joining the Stump Glanville and Stark Parade. How are you? Oh, I'm great. Thank you guys for having me. And, and just to not correct something you said, but I think we're all lucky listeners. Everyone who listens is lucky. <laughs> sure, let's go with that. <laughs> okay. Love you guys. You do phenomenal work thank in everything you do. So thank you for thank having Thank you, man. Back at you. Yeah, you know, Doug, I, I, I hear from Jesse uh, often during the season. Uh, Jesse has a great eye for that wacky stuff that you and I love about baseball. But this is the first time, I believe, that he has dared to try to stump us with trivia. Yeah. Uh, and um, all right, before we get to that, Jesse, need to know, like, what is your take on where the Padres are right now? A rough finish to last season, surprisingly quiet offseason so far for that A.J. Priller. I, I think it's exciting. And I mean, it's obviously quiet for a reason right now. I, I wouldn't anticipate <laughs> yeah. it being quiet, uh, you know, once we get rolling again, whenever that might be. But, um, you know, they, they are where I think as a fan, it, it's all you can ask. You know, they've got the core established. Now you figure out the other stuff and, and you kind of poke around. And I think, you know, when you especially look at the, the competitive nature of the sport, the last, if you want to call it a decade or so, this is this is to me as a fan what you ask for. You, you ask for your team to put itself in a position to be able to make the moves to put them over the top. And I, and I think that's where the Padres are. Obviously, the division is very difficult. The Dodgers are a behemoth. Uh, the Giants went out and won more games than any other team in the regular season last year. Whether they can do that again, who knows? But it was a good reminder that surprises happen. It doesn't always go exactly the way we all think it will. And that's uh, 
that's the fun of sports, right? There is no script. And so um, I, I'm very excited for the season whenever it begins. And uh, yeah, of course, there will be many changes on, on that roster and, and probably on 29 others between now and opening day. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, sports is the best reality show going, except for trivia. <laughs> <laughs> and so on that note, uh, we asked our lucky listeners this week for Super Bowl World Series trivia questions. You have a great question. I think we have a shot at it. So, my friend, this is your big chance to stump me and Glanville. What do you got for us on the trivia front? I, I think this was a fun one. And, you know, I appreciate you calling for the Super Bowl-related question because, obviously, we can tie some things in. So, by, by my count, there have been four stadiums, stadia, uh, <laughs> that have hosted both a, a Super Bowl and a World Series, uh, at least one of each. Mm. Uh, and so your, 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 your job is to, to name those four. I think two are fairly obvious. Uh, two are fairly easy. One is a little tricky. One may be a little bit more tricky. I don't think this is the most difficult question in the world if you're a fan of both sports, um, but it's not a gimme. Yeah, it's yeah. not a gimme. So four yeah. stadia that have hosted at least one Super Bowl and at least one World mm. Series. Wow. Okay. I think we have a shot at this, um, but I have a confession to make. Uh, if we get this right, there could be an asterisk involved. Uh, like we're always telling people, don't answer the Starkville trivia questions on Twitter. Cause like if you do that, then we can't use the questions on the show. Now I'm pretty disciplined now about making sure I don't see the answers, but, um, with your question, I got an alert when somebody that we know oh. took a stab at the question. So I saw part of one person's guess before I realized that's what it was. If we get this right, we'll let the judges weigh in on what it means. I just know we need four stadiums or stadia, whatever it is. Uh, I know two of them off the top of my head. One is your town, San Diego. Jack Murphy Stadium, I'm sure is one. Uh, the second is Miami, whatever they're calling the Dolphin Stadium this week, the stadium where the Marlins used to play. I'm, I'm, I'm almost sure that's a second. So then what? Uh, you just said two of them are not that obvious. I think that's got to be the two we have left. So again, here's the asterisk. The guess I saw was the L.A. Coliseum. That was a good one, right? That's... I'm not 100% certain that the Dodgers ever played a World Series game there, but they were in the World Series in 1959. Pretty sure that was before Dodgers Stadium. So I think that that's probably right. Uh, Asterisk alert. Okay, now the other one. Thought about Candlestick Mm -hmm. in San Francisco. Why do I feel like they've never played the Super Bowl there? I'm not sure that, but let's keep that aside because that's a real possibility. Mm -hmm. Oakland Coliseum. I don't think that has ever hosted a Super Bowl that I can remember. Anaheim, mm. pretty sure they haven't. So now we're into the domes. Uh, and Doug, like I was thinking through the domes, and it came to me. I think I've got this. I, I'm almost sure that the Metrodome once hosted the Super Bowl because it feels like there was a year where the Metrodome hosted the World Series, the Super Bowl, and the Final Four within a calendar year mm-hmm. or within within 12 months. It, it just feels like that's a piece of Metrodome trivia that is stuck in my brain. I wish it wasn't. Uh, but I, like the other domes, it could be the Astrodome, the King Dome. Nah. Might be missing a well, dome or some warm teams, weather. Though, does it? 
mean, uh, Houston, the Astros didn't. Uh, the Astros Seattle. and Mariners yeah. weren't. They were not going to the World Series when they played in those domes. Yeah. All right. What like what am I missing, Doug? I mean, I always think of the you know okay teams that were good. I know this is like host ballpark, but like okay, the Steelers won everything under the sun. I don't know if that made Three Rivers uh, become something. Obviously, the Pirates, Riverfront. You know, the Reds did their thing. Did they ever host the Super Bowl? I have no idea. No, no, the Steelers never did. No, okay, so that's easy. No. Now, what about the old? Was there some old school thing? You know, I mean, the Veteran Stadium ever have the Super Bowl? Or? No, they, they. There was a. They, one of the Eagles owners at some point tried to get a Super Bowl. Oh, the NFL said, Wrigley, "What are you thinking?" Wrigley Shea. never wouldn't even. They, they play those bowl games in Wrigley, and there's not even room for the goalposts. Shea right? Stadium. <laughs> Shea, no, around. they played the Super Bowl in. Rutherford, yes. East Rutherford. All right, all right. Yeah. But not in nope, not in Shea, not in Yankee Stadium. Yeah, I mean, then some NFL championship games in Yankee Stadium. The old one. Yeah, that's what I have there. Okay. But no, that this that okay. pre Super Bowl. I mean that's what I have. The these the stars I put down. I have Candlestick and Metrodome. And Jack Murphy is good, and I, I like yeah. I, the Coliseum. I, I put L.A. as a city. I was like, it's got to be somewhere in L.A., so I threw that on there. Um, candle, right. They never right, played so baseball in the Rose Bowl. 49ers. So. doesn't have to be the 49ers, but them hosting, and then, all right, you know, when did— well, they, No, they wouldn't, it doesn't matter if the—49ers yeah. never played in a Super Bowl in, in, San, in San Francisco. Fran. But it feels like the when the Super Bowl has been in Northern California— yeah. It's been in uh, Santa Clara. It's been in Palo Alto. Yeah. I don't remember it ever being in Candlestick. Yeah, that doesn't. Yeah, it's all windy. I've been in Candlestick Park. Jack I don't Murphy. Think you I mean, Super Bowl so, there. yeah, that's. I mean, I like it. So if we say whatever, Joe Robbie, Jack Murphy, <laughs> the Coliseum, <laughs> and the Metrodome. Uh, yeah, let's tr- let, I, let's just I try. Think that's Look, a, I, that's a, those are great okay. answers. I like it. All right, there's there there's going to be controversy. Yeah, there is. Because of the L.A. Coliseum asterisk, but well, I didn't see it. So. All right, let's just ask Jesse. Any chance that we, it's Miami, San Diego, the Coliseum, and the Metrodome? You got it exactly Ooh, right, guys. Exactly right. How about it? Miami, Miami, two World Series, six Super Bowls. San Diego, Bowls. two World Series, three Super Bowls. Coliseum, one World Series, fifty-nine against the White 59. Sox, like you said. Nice. Two Super Bowls, including the first one ever, and the Metrodome, two World Series, and Super Bowl twenty-six. In January of '92, the second of the four straight Buffalo. Oh wow. wow! Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Wow! Wow! So okay, Buffalo. so that makes seven of our last nine that we've gotten right. If you're scoring at home, and the trouble is nobody's scoring at home. You know what they're doing <laughs> at home scoring. right now, I'm Doug? Scoring. You know what they're doing? They're screaming that this shouldn't count because <laughs> I cheated. <laughs> okay. Well, I, it, with that in mind. I, I did come up with a bonus question. All right. All right. I just, I just, I just, before we get to the bonus question, okay, I just want to say this. Uh, my position on the cheating scandal is not <laughs> my fault, not our fault. I don't know how many times I say this on the show. I don't know how many times I've said this on Twitter. Don't answer the <laughs> trivia questions on the Twitter. What else have you got that we can get wrong? All right. So I, I appreciate the indulgence. Um, you guys kind of touched on it. In the pre-Super Bowl era, Ooh. This is unofficial because I went back and researched it myself. Elias has not checked in. I came up with 10 stadia that have hosted a pre-Super Bowl NFL championship game Mm. and a Mm. World Series. So you think like basically 1933 to 1966, 
You mentioned old Yankee Stadium where the Giants played. Right. That, of course, would be on this list. The Coliseum is actually on this list also. So you get two for free. There are eight others. <laughs> eight? Some of which are fairly <laughs> obvious. I, I'm not going to make you guess. I can run down. Well, let, let me, all right, hold on, hold on. Let's think about it, okay? Okay. Memorial Stadium, for sure. Yes. In Baltimore is one. Alan Amici, right? I mean, Wrigley. Didn't you mention Wrigley? or All right. Wrigley has hosted five NFL championship yeah, all right. games. All right. God, that's hard to believe. Oh. <laughs> uh, let's see. St. Louis. Uh, that one, No. One of those. No. One of those Bush stadiums? No. No, it never happened. Uh, when the Rams got good, they were in that dome thing. What, what about Oakland? Uh, Did they ever do a polo grounds? Polo. Polo grounds, five NFL title games. Ooh, we're, we're good at this. No, we're not. Most recently in 1946, uh, as we all remember. <laughs> yeah. Comiskey? Yeah, Comiskey. One, 1947, the Chicago Cardinals beat your Eagles. Mm, wow. uh, oh, that's a Shy Park or Crosley Field. Or... There you go, Shy okay. Park. Shy Park. We're definitely huffing and puffing now, though. Um, Sportsman's Park? No, I got three left. <laughs> got St. Louis on the brain here. I'm trying to think of Milwaukee. Uh, oh, Tiger Stadium. Br- there you go. Nice. Yeah, like old... Briggs at the time, but yeah, Briggs. Cle- Cleveland, Cleveland, Cleveland is correct. They they had five NFL title games. Uh, the other one was uh, not Milwaukee. No, think of the eight original teams. Okay, all right. Eight uh, the, Phillies, doesn't help me Pirates, either. Phillies, Pirates, oh, Cubs, team. Braves. Well, American League then, National League now. Oh, original. American League City now in National League City. Hmm. That's what. Yeah, that's why I was thinking the Brewers, but Washington. There Washington you go. Stadium. Yeah, Griffith Stadium. Was that? Nice. Is that now RFK? All right. So somehow or other, we muddled through that one. Do we get credit for that? Do we get two? We get two this week. One point five. Do we go two for two? Zero for two? What did we do? <laughs> No, you get one. You're gonna I give mean, us the one. Cheating wasn't your fault, so you get one for the original. But I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna give you a bonus. That was like total teamwork and. <laughs> All right. You're not, you're not gonna get the second bonus, point, uh, uh, but you get one. You're one for one. So. Okay, one for one with with a, with an asterisk. All right, let, uh, it's time to move on. <laughs> Let's yes. bring in our mayor, Mayor Tim McMaster, to salvage this train wreck of a segment with his usual cool play-by-play clip which involves the week's original question. Lots of good choices here, man. Go for it. Yeah, so we usually have a specific player that the answer is, or a group of players, and we try to find that player. But now you're talking about World Series. So I figured we should try to find the best World Series game from this winning answer, right? So I think it's pretty clear cut when you think about which of these games is the best, certainly the most famous, and that is Game 7 in 1991, the Jack Morris mm. game. Gene Larkin came up to end that one late in the 10th inning. Minnesota bench hoping to get this winning run across here in the 10th. It's carried by Dan Gladden the third. Base it loaded, one out. Infielders are sort of halfway at second and short. Pena in a jam. The Twins are going to win the World Series. The Twins have won it. It's a base hit. It's a one nothing 10-inning victory. Jack Buck, so good. So good. In fact, I really thought we would get that question <laughs> when I asked for these Super Bowl World Series questions. Name the X number of broadcasters who have broadcast a World Series 
and a Super Bowl. Maybe next show we could get that one. If you're listening out there, if anybody's listening still, <laughs> think, think about it. Anyway, that was so much fun. Yeah. Jesse, always great to hear from you. Good work with this. Uh, see you soon, I hope. Yeah. And uh, thanks for joining us in Starkville. Thank you, guys. And uh, again, appreciate your indulgence. Yeah, thanks, Jesse. Yeah, <laughs> no. appreciate it, man. It was the, it was, the indulgence was so much fun. Great. Strange but true. All right, let's do something that you would think would be impossible. <laughs> let's try to do a strange but true segment in a sport where there hasn't been a game in 14 weeks. <laughs> How good are we, man? <laughs> so since it's Super Bowl week, I, I, let's compare the football playoffs to the baseball playoffs. Sound good, Doug? I like it. Yep. <laughs> All right. Here we go. NFL. The last two weekends, six postseason games, five walk-offs. <laughs> five. Uh, it's been tremendous theater. Uh, and that's as many walk-offs in two weekends in six games as we saw in the entire baseball postseason, which takes a month. Games every day for a month. 37 games in the entire baseball postseason, five walk-offs. Versus the NFL, six games in eight days, five walk-offs. So, Doug, here's a question for you. Uh, is there anything that baseball can learn from just the entertainment value, the drama of these NFL playoff games? Um, I, I think there is. I can go first if you want, or I can let you weigh in first. No, take it away. I'll, I'll follow up. All right, here, here's the big one that I would throw out there. Uh, these NFL games haven't just been so much fun because they went down to the final play. Uh, they're great because the stars, by that I mean the star quarterbacks, Mahomes, uh, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, that Tom Brady guy, they have the ball at the end of the game. The ball is in the hands of the stars, and they determine winning and losing. That almost never happens in baseball anymore because those ace starters are out of the game. So like those legendary postseason moments that people get all poetic about, Jack Morris, Sandy Koufax, yada, 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 October shadows, they're, like they're no longer possible in our sport. Uh, Got to fix that. Doug, am I onto something? Yeah. I, yeah, I think that is the direct, you know, the closest parallel when you think about what a quarterback means. You know, the guy with the ball is the pitcher. And yeah, I mean, my childhood is riddled with thinking of Carlton versus Seaver and Valenzuela. And, you know, I love those matchups. And now, you know, you look at the paper every day, the probable starters, and you see these names. And that was like much, you know, must-see TV, you know, game of the week, you know, Bob Costas. And, you know, so I just think that that is the, the closest you can come to it, where you have a pitcher going deep. And it's just it's just not the culture now. You you. Nobody really has complete games, and most of the times the matchups will be a driver, the pitch count, whatever it may be. But, but you know, I, I think baseball has tried to capture some of that NFL magic through, you know, the, the one-game single elimination wild card kind of flavor, which is hard because, once again, yes, if you have, you know, Jake Arrieta going in that one magical year or someone like that, you, you do get sort of that, that taste of, what it means to give someone the ball and not ever want to take it out of their hands. That's your captain. And um, 
but you know, it's obviously as baseball set up much more around a series flavor and the depth flavor as 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 it is. It's a, it's a little different. Uh, it, it's a little contrived, I guess I could say, in terms of baseball not really being much of a sudden death sport when it comes to like one game. You have to kind of create that theater. But I do, um, yeah, I think there's a lot there. Those those games that have had great pitchers and those matchups where they carry the team on their back, that's, that's what a quarterback does. And uh, I, I do think that's a good takeaway from an incredible couple of weeks in the NFL right now. Yeah. You know, look, I understand why starting pitchers pitch less now. I get it. I, I've seen all the three times through the order data. I see that stuff. Uh, I, I know there's a lot of money invested in these pitchers and you're trying to keep them healthy. How's that working, by the way? So I, I understand the reasons that the data drives these decisions, but we're talking about an entertainment product. And I think really this is at the crux of baseball's future. Um is what what makes for great baseball strategy is not making for great entertainment strategy. And the sport has to rethink itself around that concept of entertainment. And, you know, what makes the other sports so popular, among other things, is like they can hitch their sport to their stars, to their personalities. They're personality-driven and star-driven because that's the world. Um, If the forces in baseball are driving us in the other direction, we need to take a step back. We need to examine ways to counteract that. I'm open to any way that anybody wants to suggest, but I'll be honest with you. One of my biggest sources of frustration is we're going to go all the way through this labor negotiation process. And when we come out on the other end, they're going to have done nothing to make the sport more entertaining. Nothing. That's a that's a big loss, don't you think? Yeah, Jay. And well, and here's one thing that actually is reflective of that labor history. There's a lot of unique and amazing, you know, initiatives that's come from it. Because you know the players' association has been strong in, in the sense of you know the union history, but you look at someone like Shohei Otani, right, or these figures that are the quarterbacks in some ways. You don't have a sport that Otani just hits every time, right? He's not the guy. You know, you can't be like, oh, I'm going to give it to Otani on this handoff. No, it's like Otani. You know, baseball, you wait your turn. And so when you think about negotiations, and I distinctly recall this in the many years working in the players' association, is that. There, there's not a lot of incentive to elevate the status of these individual star players as much. You know, they're not they're not getting the same kind of whatever Nike deals or it's not the same level. And part of that is, you know, the players historically are seen as, you know, it's a revolving door. Okay, you come and then you go. Ownership and these organizations, their storied histories outlast and that's and they, they endure. And that's what part of what we love about it. But I think it hurts the ability to elevate these individual players because, first of all, it creates a lot of negotiating leverage, <laughs> for one. And so there's there's an allergic reaction to being like Mike Trout and all these these faces, which is why, like, I remember a list a couple of years ago, Mike Trout was like the 48th most recognizable, you know, athlete, you know, and all these basketball, football, these other players were just ahead of him. And this guy's one of the greatest players to ever play the game. So I think you have that challenge, you know, where if you're Patrick Mahomes, obviously he's won a lot, 
you know, you're a quarterback, you know, you're just, you're going to, he's going to be on the cover. He's going to have endorsements. He's going to be in Subway and Disney and all these commercials. So baseball does have that challenge. And I think it's the design of it in some ways. And it would take a somewhat of a revolution to sort of get on the other side of that. But someone like Otani to me is like, I would try to figure out how to have him pitch against himself or something. I, I have no idea <laughs> virtually. And just, I, I'd like, I'd watch that, you know? So, so I mean, th- these young players today are just so electric and I think they need, they need to be showcased. Yeah. Well, I'm with you. You know, I, uh, in the athletic, um, as we speak, uh, we have a poll of Pro Bowl players and all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, and one of the questions was, who's your favorite athlete in any sport besides football? And there's like a million great names. You know what they all have in common? Not one of them is a baseball player. Not one of them said Otani. Yeah. Okay. And um, I like these are the kind of things that would get my attention if I were the king of baseball, which I will never <laughs> be. All right, that's going to do it for this week's show. Uh, we'll be bringing you more of this podcast magic all off-season long on the Athletic Baseball Show, which is available in its entirety, absolutely free, everywhere you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to read our work or any of the incredible writing on our site, there is still no better sports writing being done anywhere than in The Athletic. So if you've thought about subscribing, I'm sure you have. Just go to theathletic.com slash baseball show. And if you're a new subscriber, guess what? You can subscribe for one-third off our normal rates. Try it. You won't regret it. Also remember, you too can be part of this podcast. Every show, we invite the listener who submits the most fun trivia question of the week to join us right here and prove once again there's almost no baseball trivia question we can't get wrong. So how would you go about doing that? You can send us a trivia question via email at starkville at theathletic.com or you can fire those questions at us on Twitter. And when someone is firing a question at Doug Glanville, how does that work, Doug? Well, first I check if it's a groundhog to see if I'm, you know, getting stalked. (laughs) You should. But after I clear that, it's just at Doug Glanville, D-O-U-G-G-L-A-N-V-I-L-L-E. I never have any groundhogs tweeting at me because they know to just tweet at Jason ST at J A Y S O N S T. Please hashtag the questions hashtag Starkville QS. Do not answer somebody else's questions. That's a big issue this week. (laughs) So Doug, thanks for playing. Thanks to Whit Merrifield for joining us. Thanks to Jesse Agler of the Padres for two great trivia questions. Thanks to the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster for producing us and putting up with us. Thanks to you all for listening. Doug and I will see you soon on Starkville.